0: Thank you. Hello, and thank you for joining us once again for another episode of the Streamtime Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Genius Sports. You're probably familiar with Genius through its official data partnerships with the likes of the NFL, the Premier League, and hundreds of other rights holders globally. But did you know Genius also helps leagues, teams, and brands reach and monetize fans with dynamic advertising, media buying, data-driven content, and gamified digital products? It's the Genius Marketing Suite that has helped the likes of FIFA, the Las Vegas Raiders, Puma, and lots more acquire over five million fans, engage audiences, and activate sponsorships on their digital platforms. Head to www.geniussports.com to find out how Genius can help you grow. I hope you enjoy the next episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the next edition of the Sports Pro Streamtime Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Now, Nick, normally when it comes to events and content, we're usually moderating, sort of setting up the stage for other people, you know, kind of playing Scotty to their Michael. But this last week, you got to be the man on the main stage. You went out to Sweden, uh, got to present. So, you know, how was that, you know, kind of flipping the the stage around a little bit?
1: Yeah, it was it was a great experience. Uh, and it was a reminder of how much, work has to go into presenting and, and putting something together like that. You know, it was, it was a different type of event where it was a, it was an event about streaming and streaming tech uh, run by the guys at Ivan. Uh, streaming Tech Sweden is actually the name of the event, but it's really about much more technology focused than what we normally are uh, focused upon. Um, and so coming in there, uh, I was... My eyes were open pretty quickly in the first couple of sessions on how deep on the tech side it was uh, and wondering what I was doing there for a moment, but then I was reassured that the reason I was there was to paint the picture about the sports sports media streaming landscape, which was the plan in the first place. So that no, was quite exciting. I took a ton of notes about four pages in this one and then another three or four pages uh, on my laptop. But unfortunately, I left my laptop uh, at the airport after that. And so I'll never see those notes uh, again. But it was a great experience. And uh, congrats to Magnus and the team and Ivan for, for a great event out there. I definitely learned a lot from it. Although I will have to go back to the, uh, the, vi- the, the video on demand stuff to uh, work out what, um, what was the, the keynotes that I took away from it.
0: Well, it's an interesting segue, not one that we would naturally normally make, but now you've left your laptop behind. Our last guest that we actually interviewed in person left his laptop behind, and who we're being joined by today has also shared a similar story. So clearly I'm the odd man now, and I'm not working hard enough on the plane that I've not found myself in this situation. But we are very excited to be joined today by a very special guest, Sanjay Gupta, who is the head of sports at Disney Snar. And it's a really, really exciting time to talk about this because for anyone that is following the sports industry, and I'll admit, I'm not the world's biggest cricket fan per se, but my colleague, George Breer, has been religiously watching it during work hours. And I probably shouldn't say that in front of <laughs> Nick. But you know, we have talked quite a bit about the growth of the IPL. We've talked... I you know, sort of predicted, it might be the only league that has an opportunity to catch the NFL in terms of just a total sum of money. But apart from the IPL looking at India, you know, fastest growing market in the world and some of the opportunities are there. And, you know, for our audience, there's a lot of lessons to be learned about the work that's going on there. So, you know, Nick, I don't know if there's anything else you want to preface this episode with, but we're really looking to kind of drill you with all kinds of questions (laughs) and make this something that's educational for us as well.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, I wasn't hoping for you to mention the fact about the laptop. Uh, but now that you have and embarrassed me at the start of the interview, per- perhaps that's the way for you to put me on the back foot, which is yeah. a term they use in cricket. Uh, I'm sure George will know more about it. But it's great to be here. I'm actually here for a big cricket match that's going to be played uh, in London, the World Test Championship final between India and Australia, which we hope will uh, break a few viewership records, much the same way as IPL recently did.
0: Well, interesting, and we're
1: going to have a little dynamic between the two of you, then a little smack talk, perhaps.
2: (laughs) I'll keep the smack talk
1: to um, personal circumstances, but yeah, I am looking forward to seeing what happens with that event. Um, I've been growing up being a long-time cricket fan, cricket nut in Australia, Uh, and so it's good to see how the game's evolving, and uh, I mean, it's come a long way and and evolved a lot over the last few years, so interesting to see how um, this week plays out.
0: Yeah. Well, there's quite a bit that we want to dive into today, so we won't waste any more time, but perhaps maybe you could just give people a bit of an idea of who uh, Disney Star are and the work you're doing, where that fits into the larger Disney family. Just give people a little bit of context
2: of what you're
0: working with before we start really diving into the the ecosystem of India itself.
2: So Disney Star is the India business for Disney, um, and uh, it's a business which has presence in entertainment, sports, and movies. Uh, It is also the number one television network in India and also happens to be the biggest OTT service in India, which is Disney Plus Hotstar. That's in a nutshell what Disney Star is about. Um, We have significant investments, as I said, across entertainment, movies, and sports. So We are diversified in terms of how we reach audiences and the kind of audiences we reach. We serve about 700 million viewers um, across the network, uh, across sports, entertainment and and movies and are the preferred destination for all things entertainment and sports uh, in India.
0: So, what I take from that first reaction is we usually refer to the USA as as this big giant in the sports market industry. You just mentioned you guys are serving 700 million people, which is double the size of the US population. That alone, I think, just goes to show the sheer scale of the work that you guys are doing, which I kind of, you know, is a bit mind boggling just to start off with, to be honest.
2: The the scale of opportunity is massive. Um, You know, if I look back and focus on macro numbers we're india's the largest fastest growing large economy in the world with 6 plus percent gdp growth it's an economy which is driven by consumption so more than 60% of the gdp is generated through private consumption and uh, it's and a country which has almost 50% of the population below the age of 25 with a median age of 28 wow. which just goes to show where the economy and the country is today and where it has the potential to go. Now, drilling a little deeper, as you said, into the media and entertainment ecosystem, it's perhaps one of the few markets in the world where linear and digital are both growing and are at a significant scale. There are more than 900 million TV viewers in India. There are close to 500 million monthly video viewers on digital. And on the commercial side of things, both in terms of ad spends on television as well as on digital, they're growing. Um, TV adex, as we call it, the ad spends on on linear are growing by anything between eight to ten percent every year. Uh, digital is obviously go- growing at a faster clip, albeit on a smaller base. Um, it's projected to grow at fifteen to twenty percent every year. And sports enjoys uh, almost a haloed position in the industry because it's and now very specifically cricket, it's the only content genre that actually aggregates across the length and breadth of the country. I mean, the one thing that most people perhaps don't acknowledge about India is the size, scale, and heterogeneity of cultures and populations across the country make it really unique. It's almost a cornucopia of cultures consumers and commercial possibilities with different regions in the country behaving very differently and having very different market realities. And in all that, uh, sport, particularly cricket, is the only content genre, if I may call it that, which is able to aggregate audiences irrespective of region, irrespective of cultures, irrespective of the language of choice across Uh, as I said, the length and breadth of the country. So that's the scale of popularity or affinity that cricket has. And that's the potential that other sports have when they are built on the back of a massive foundation that cricket is able to lay for all other sports to grow from.
1: I think most people in the the sports industry are pretty aware of, in some way, shape or form, the scale of fandom around cricket, particularly in India, just curious, Is are there any other sports that even come close to that? Um, what are the other major sports perhaps in the market that people might not be aware of for those outside of in the Indian market
2: itself? So I'll answer this question in two parts. One, as things stand today, uh, cricket is 90% of all sports viewership. That's how big it is for a country which has, as I said, 900 million TV viewers and 500 million monthly video viewers. There are emerging opportunities in sport which have evolved and somewhat matured over the last 10 years. And Disney Star, interestingly, has played a pioneering role in actually building out what is genuinely a multi-sport opportunity in the country now. There is an indigenous sport which most of us grow up playing called Kabaddi. It's a tag and tackle sport uh, which was pretty much non-existent for years. It was a sport that was played across the world uh, among select nations, but as far as presence on television was concerned, it was non-existent. Through a process where we jointly developed the property itself, which is the Pro Kabaddi League, we've managed to take Kabaddi from being non-existent in 2013 to today being the second most watched sport in the country. So Pro Kabaddi League uh, will aggregate about 200 to 250 million viewers in a season. And a season is typically about three months, Uh, about 70 to 90 days is, is the length of the season. It's coming up on its 10th season and it continues to go from strength to strength. But as I said earlier, the scale of Kabaddi is still not something that matches up to the scale of cricket. Also because of the supply of it. Uh, It is currently a league that is played for two and a half to three months. It's not a sport which is prevalent all year long. The other sport which has also built a foundation for itself is football or soccer. Um, Again, uh, we were pioneers in the space where through a JV with uh, Reliance, we actually launched um, the Indian Super League, which is the Football League in India, which has, Grown to a level where it is one of the most popular leagues in certain parts of the country. And this then speak, you know, talks back to the point I was making earlier, that for any sport to become as large an aggregator as cricket, it will have to appeal to multiple regions. That that I mean, we've still not come to that scenario, or that scenario is still to play out. Um, We are at a a stage where both these sports, Kabaddi and uh, football, have pockets of deep passion uh, and have the opportunity to grow from the foundation that has been laid from them. There are also other efforts being made to grow indigenous sports like Cocoa uh, and also some international sports with cultural affiliations like volleyball. So, In a a sense, we've seen more movement in the multi-sport ecosystem in India in the last eight or nine years than we had seen in the last 50 before that. Uh, This includes private investment and launch of new properties. So uh, be it large corporates, uh, Indian corporates, which are now investing in a big way across sports and across leagues, to private equity players who have... Found sport to be an attractive investment option, especially in the long term horizon. And HNI's from across the world who are now taking deep interest in this sporting revolution or a mini revolution that's taking place in India. And the, the evolution of private investment on one side and properties which are now reaching scale which is of tremendous value we are beginning to see phase two of the evolution of the the sporting ecosystem beyond cricket. So quick question to follow up on that. Um, I have a quick anecdote for you.
1: The first time I ever came across Kabaddi was when I just started working at SportsPro and I typed into YouTube SportsPro and SportsPro, Pro Kabaddi came up as a first search. That was about 12, 13 years ago, and they kept beating us in all the search results, and I was like, what is this for? And then I first came across it, and it is a great sport to watch. So get onto YouTube and check check it out. Um, you talked about the, the different regions of there's pockets of interest, and, and I'm just curious just to quickly to talk about that. Do you as a, as a broadcast platform then really have you regionalize your content, um, or are you kind of serving a main national uh, product?
2: You're, you're you're bang on. Uh, the growth of sport in India has to be immensely local, and interestingly, has been immensely regional in the last ten years. The the growth of cricket, and it's it's hard to imagine the scale at which cricket as is at today and and has been for the longest time that it has seen growth. Uh, the the largely the growth of cricket over the last nine years, nine or ten years in India has been powered by regionalization of the cricketing experience, the viewing experience around around the sport. Uh, We started on this journey in 2013, where we established the fact that one viewing experience being offered to hundreds of millions of viewers was not good enough to cater to the deep personalized affinity that, that audiences had for the sport and was not doing an adequate job of serving the different audience cohorts, which were all fairly significant in their size. So, and thus began the journey. Uh, the, the big learning was actually from the entertainment side of our business. So the entertainment side of our business is actually looking to cater to India through catering to specific regions across the country and that was that learning which which disney star had at that point through its entertainment business was applied to sport and particularly cricket to begin with to see if we could deepen the penetration of the sport make it more widely accessible and dramatically improve and enhance the comprehension of the game thus leading to growing affinity for the sport so you mentioned ipl uh, ipl was produced with 11 simultaneous, fully customized feeds catering to either different regions or even different psychographic profiles of consumers. Uh, So we we did this exercise a few years back where we tried to create audience cohorts or fan cohorts for for cricket, uh, ranging from what we call the sports loving fan families on one side to dads looking to connect to cricket aficionados to sporting enthusiasts all distinguished by what the average age of that audience was how passionate they were about the sport how much sport did they actually watch and what were the levers of engagement that typically drove their consumption and once we have the had these cohorts we we started looking at opportunities to grow cricket consumption specifically in those cohorts where the scale or the size of the audience was large enough. So on one side, we have a psychographic profiling of of consumers, audiences, fans based on their preferences and their modes of consumption being catered to in a certain way. On the other, we also have the same sport or, or, or the same game being produced in eight to 10 different languages with different sets of commentators, with cultural nuances unique to the region built into the broadcast, and being served to fans in that particular region in a bid to, as I said, one, deepen the affinity, and two, widen the, the scale of the audience.
0: Well, one of the things I thought was interesting, you're talking about both linear and digital are growing in India. I'm not sure if that's uh, is consistent across other places. You know, I think about the USA; they're talking about things like cord cutting, and they're sort. It, it doesn't seem like maybe they're both growing in those same directions and whatnot. You know, has that always been the case for India, or is this something that's more of a, a recent relevant trend? You talk about it's one of the fastest growing marketplaces, but you know, how recently has some of this been a development over the last you know five, ten years to reaching the the present day?
2: So linear has been growing year on year for the last last decade. And the explosion in digital video consumption really began in 2014-15. So it's over the last eight years that we've seen a significant growth in digital video consumption. And uh, more importantly, consumption of live sport, uh, particularly cricket. We are now at a stage where both platforms deliver significant audiences and have reached a scale where they're both serving both significant niches as well as large aggregated audiences. The the IPL uh, will have been watched by more than 496 million viewers on television. Um, We had 47 matches with peak concurrency for each match being more than 30 million, going as high as 61 million for the second qualifier between Mumbai Indians and Gujarat Titans. Just in terms of engagement, we've crossed 400 billion minutes of consumption on IPL with viewership figures for the final still to come. All of it points in the same direction, that sport and cricket particularly still has immense headroom for growth. What the two platforms offer, um, especially for a fan and and the way we see it, because we have deep interests in linear and in digital, is for the sports business to have the mission to serve sports fans irrespective of which platform they're on. So our approach to sport is actually platform agnostic. What we want to do is we want to offer a deeply immersive lean back experience on linear, But we also want to offer the most widely accessible and convenient mode of consumption on digital. So if you're a consumer or if you're a fan who wants to sit back and just enjoy the game and take it all in, perhaps watch it with your friends and really enjoy sport as the familial or community exercise that it's supposed to be, then we have a linear product available for you where the viewing experience has a certain set of features. But if you're on the go and you're a fan and you want to watch the game and you still want to be engaged, our mission essentially is to serve sports fans, irrespective of the platform they may choose to engage with us on. On the linear platform, we're looking to provide a deeply immersive, lean back and communal experience. Uh, While on digital platforms, we are looking to provide um, a high frequency, high convenience, um, more sessions thrown in, but basically making the sport, the event, the game as widely accessible as possible. And both for us are in some sense complementary because to give fans the ability to engage with the game wherever they are, and also give them the ability to engage with the sport in a deeply immersive manner. Basically, means that you're driving the affinity and deepening the engagement with the property or with the sport. Uh, and thus, we don't, while we build our viewing experiences uniquely for the two platforms, because both offer very different features or very different possibilities, we don't distinguish between the fan who we are trying to serve as being someone who will either choose one platform or the other that is a choice that the fan can choose to make but it's not a choice that we will force upon the fan
1: i've got a quick question in terms of just the nuts and bolts of that because you talked about the the those two sort of all well, the two key platforms the the linear proposition and then the and, the and the digital proposition can you just quickly just talk through for those that aren't aware the difference between hotstar and, and star india love like, the, the, the the difference in perhaps accessibility, so for what I understand, Hotstar is free to access, whereas uh, India is a, a, a pay proposition. Just talk about the differences between those two, um, if you
2: can. Actually, it's, it's interesting. Both our platforms are uh, built on pay propositions. Um, so we run um, a linear service by the name of Star Sports, which has uh, a network of 17 channels. Uh, These are a mix of standard definition and uh, high definition channels, as well as uh, regional sports networks, which are a part of the mix. Uh, Disney plus Hotstar is uh, an an A-Ward plus S-Ward platform where most of our sporting properties over the last four years have been behind a paywall. So a consumer does have to pay to watch sport. And this has been the case since 2019. When we launched Disney Plus Hotstar in uh, 2015, it was an AWARD platform where all sport being available free. Uh, That's a strategy we pursued largely to drive the habit and the behavior of digital consumption. And once we felt that we had reached a scale where the behavior had genuinely turned into a habit or a preference, we decided to move um, sport from being AWARD to hybrid SWAT, where you can still consume up to five to 10 minutes of a game free. But then watching beyond that requires you to actually pay for the service. So it's a freemium strategy with almost a sachet-based sampling exercise um, being a part of the overall proposition.
0: Um, There's two things coming to my mind. One of them I'm going to ask Because someone, a listener, actually asked us a very specific question to ask people about how well discounts, freemium models, and things like that work. You mentioned it there. Would you describe that as having been successful in terms of trying to acquire customers through that freemium model? Because like I said, that's a a direct question from a listener that they said they were curious to hear from people in positions like yourself. How have
2: things like that worked? So actually, we've experimented a fair bit with packaging as well as pricing. Um, and that has was the need of the hour because we were in a rapidly evolving consumer landscape. It's, India is also a highly price sensitive market. Uh, and thus, the price value proposition almost needs to be evaluated and re-evaluated on an ongoing basis. So we started the platform as an award free service. Uh, We moved from a free service to Sward in 2019 where we allowed consumers access to a single game or as we call it a match uh, in in cricket uh, to the extent of 5 to 10 minutes after which once the timer ran out, the consumer would need to subscribe to the service to watch more. Mm -hmm. Specifically around discounting, we've also worked closely with partners to ensure that We are making different packages available to consumers, ranging from what we originally had, which was only an annual subscription that a consumer needed to subscribe to, uh, to, to gain access to the content behind the paywall, to then moving to shorter duration packages, which also drove higher reach and accessibility for some of the sporting properties. So it's an evolving model, um, especially in a market which is changing as rapidly as India is.
0: Yeah. The other question I had, and you may you may not know the answer off the top of your head, but i just curious because we've referred to some of the drama that's happening in America with what's going on with regional sports networks there and sort of some of the bankruptcy they're dealing with and leagues trying to figure out how they they maximize or make back some of that money. We've always referred to that as being almost kind of an American Problem because most of the European markets we deal with aren't big enough to have a regional sports network. But you've talked about in India, the size we probably should have been aware of. It. You talk about—I heard you mention regional sports networks there. So I don't know how familiar you are with the RSM business in America and how similar the RSM business works in India as opposed to the United States, or if they're similar, or totally different. It's just something that kind of clicked in my head when you were talking about that. For our listeners that maybe are based in the U.S. that are kind of
2: curious how that situation may look compared to what it looks like in the states. So while the model is similar, the actual proposition is very different. Um, And and there are three parts to the proposition which uh, distinguish RSNs in in the Disney star network from typical RSNs in the the US. One, RSNs in India, due to a paucity of supply of marquee sport, don't actually have exclusive content. It is the same content which is being customized on that network for that region. So there isn't an additional layer of acquisition of rights, which is significant, that falls upon the RSN. The RSN actually is a part of the overall network and the combination of RSNs creates more value for what the central proposition for star sports is. So that's the first point of difference. Mm. Uh, the second point of difference is, and and it flows from the first, is that the monetization of the RSNs continues to happen centrally as a part of the overall package, right? So, for example, um, an IPL will be available on our Tamil RSN as an independent and customized feed or broadcast. But the monetization of IPL will happen as a collective for audiences delivered across the length and breadth of the country. So even in terms of monetization, it's a very different model from the one that exists uh, in the US. I think the biggest point of difference, uh, which is Perhaps one of the unique attributes of the Indian media and entertainment ecosystem, as well as the sports market, is that it is driven by ad spends. It is not driven by subscription revenues. Subscription revenues typically make up about 35 to 40% of the overall revenues. So it's an ad dominated uh, ecosystem where most of the revenues generated are coming on the back of ad which depends almost entirely on the kind of aggregated reach that you can deliver for audiences. Like, again, giving the example of IPL, we added close to 11 million paying households on the back of IPL 2023, which added to the overall subscriber base that the Disney Star network has, and also to the overall reach that the Star Sports Network within Disney Star has now. So the purpose that RSNs are serving in India is not to serve as independent business models, but really serve as contributory business models to the overall proposition that one is building around sport.
1: It's really interesting. I'll let you jump in, Nick. Um, so taking a, a look back now at... Um, at sort of the growth journey in particular a lot of that's been built around or at least internationally the coverage around the IPL's growth um and i remember reflecting um the the previous media rights cycle where you had the collective rights including with hotstar <laughs> there was a big moment where you reached those record concurrent numbers the the, the mid the mid 20 million concurrents which Turned pretty much everyone's heads in the industry as to oh we should probably be paying a lot more attention now to the Indian market because uh, that scale is incredible um, when you compare to any market in in the world. Um, just talk us a bit about that experience back then. I'm just curious about how that how when you secured those rights at that level because that was a big investment back then. At the time it was a huge huge step up in investment to have the collective rights um, and then to see that consumption developed so rapidly through streaming? Because that back then, uh, if my timelines are sort of correct, there was still uncertainty, at least from an international side of things, on how well streaming products could perform in a market like India, where perhaps there's an expectation that maybe the, the infrastructure to deliver on streaming isn't as strong as, say, some of the more established Western uh, markets. But all of a sudden, Hotstar comes along and blows, the, blows everyone away with some of those numbers. Just how did you find that whole experience uh, and back then in particular, was that something you guys saw coming or was it even surpassing your expectations back then?
2: I'd love to say that we saw it coming and that our uh, projections were bang on. But I think there were a few factors that really contributed to the significant step up in the growth trajectory. One was the cost of data becoming as cheap as it did as quickly as it did. Um, the the other factor that played a huge role was in was the accessibility of data improving to the extent that it did? And I think the third and final factor was something that obviously we we invested a lot of time, effort and resources in, was to make streaming as seamless an experience. Even if you were operating at data speeds which weren't optimal uh, and delivering an experience which met the baseline standard of expectations that consumers had. So a combination of data being cheap, data being available, and live streaming being delivered in a way that it is an uninterrupted seamless experience on Hotstar actually drove the behavior of consumers where even those who were watching on linear were spending some time on digital and and we started seeing a big overlap between audiences on linear and audiences on digital because of the convenience factor that, that you had access to the game wherever you were. To my mind, the, 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 the significant growth that we saw between 18 and 22 uh, was in two phases. One was the Award phase, which was the first two years, which is when we registered the concurrency numbers that you just spoke of. Uh, and the second phase was about driving subscribers and driving the, the capacity of consumers to actually want to pay and then pay. Because the, the other limitation or the other big challenge in, in, in India is to drive the, the tendency to pay and then be able to close the loop. Where the tendency or the willingness to pay actually turns into a transaction. And on both counts, I think it was a it was a big leap that we were able to make between 2019 and 2020 when we went from being a ward to S Ward. Mm. Uh, so those were the two phases. Uh we had, you know, at at, at last count, more than 50 million subscribers um, you know, being driven on the back of this behavioral shift that we were able to make for consumers and as i said the factors that came together to create the ideal platform for consumers to choose streaming both as a complement to linear and at times as a choice over linear but you guys were obviously leading the way internationally on
1: not only the execution of that plan but indeed delivering at such a scale how did that go? Was that well there must have been some challenges along the way on the the execution on on the distribution side or we and probably still is, I guess because you you're producing pretty unprecedented numbers. and in fact, when we look at what's happening across the American market, they're still having challenges delivering at scale to much smaller audiences. How difficult has it been to serve audiences perhaps on the distribution side? particularly through streaming, with a, a, a pretty new uh, ecosystem, a new audience, and a, a, a burgeoning and transforming telco industry that's really changed the games for that same period?
2: I think this question is best answered by the tech team uh, and someone representing the product side of things um, because it, it was a fairly significant challenge. Uh, it seems easy to do, uh, but I can tell you the scale-up from a million to 5 million to 10 million to 20 million tends to be really steep and it tends to happen very quickly. Uh, then, so to be able to handle that kind of spike in traffic is what the biggest problem or the challenge is and which many many streaming platforms struggle with. It's not so much the fact that you're able to serve so many viewers over a period of time, it's the fact that the jump in traffic yeah. is so steep that the the tech and the service at times struggled struggles to scale up to that level um I, I think you know kudos to to the to the tech team at at disney plus hotstar for for managing that that scale up was it fraught with challenges and at times um some bit of um, you know, obstacles along the way and and a few bumps along the journey. Absolutely, but uh, where we are today is uh, is pretty significant given where we were in 2015, where uh, you know, uh, streaming as a concept uh, didn't didn't exist for most Indian cricket fans or Indian sports fans for that matter.
0: Looking more specifically, a bit at the IPL, something I'd be interested to ask you. And I know your role is more specifically in sports, but one of the things we've talked about, you know, some of our former guests, uh, Fubo TV, they talk about come for the sports, stay for the entertainment. You know, there's this idea that you know someone like a DAZN might struggle because there's just not simply enough sports content. You've got to have all these other people, uh, other other pieces in place to keep you entertained. But I also don't know if we've ever heard of a sport with such a high affinity that the IPL has that maybe that strategy's flipped upside down. But just be curious to know when you're thinking about the strategy that you guys have in terms of, is the IPL the main attraction? Is it a marketing tool to drive people to other entertainment? Sort of where that fits within the the pie of all the different content. Because you talked about, you guys aren't just a sports platform. There's all the other different bits of entertainment. So just kind of curious to know where the IPL fits in the strategy more broadly.
2: I think it fits in two parts. One is what does IPL mean for the overall sports strategy? And I'm not speaking about linear or digital for a second. Um, IPL potentially is a handshake with sport for a lot of new viewers or fans coming in. This IPL, um, we attracted or recruited almost 200 million new viewers into sports, and IPL being a constituent of that. For those 200 odd million viewers, the journey into sport is begins with IPL and then it is for us to take them on a journey which allows them the opportunity to sample other cricketing properties and also other sports and actually use IPL to drive consideration for other cricketing properties as well as other sports. So one part of it is the role that it plays in sport, where it attracts new viewers who have the opportunity to become sports fans over a period of time and are beginning their journey with this handshake. Because of all the buzz and and the scale of the event, these viewers come in with the expectation of entertainment led by sport, and then will potentially, or at least our attempt is, stay back for continuing affiliation with sport because they find found sport to be so entertaining. The second part of it is what it does for the network beyond sport, uh, both in terms of leveraging IPL and also m- any marquee cricket to drive the affinity for our entertainment products, or for that matter, also funnel audiences from IPL to entertainment properties that are going to be launched, because what tends to happen is towards the end of IPL, a lot of new shows get launched across networks. And those shows benefit from the lead-in that IPL can provide if leveraged as a marketing opportunity for, for those shows. So both as far as the start of a journey of a sports fan is concerned, as well as attracting new viewers or re-recruiting viewers into our entertainment portfolio. IPL actually serves to be the centerpiece of that strategy where we want a consumer to join us and then deepen his or her engagement across sports or entertainment.
1: One thing I, I have to ask you I've been one of the things I love about the whole IPL media landscape is, um I don't know if you've seen it, Chris, but the, the media rights uh, process is so unique. Uh, if you, you, there's like live running blogs, there's, there's, I think you're all having to stand at this space, still stay in a room together and bid against each other. It's very u- a unique experience. It's a proper like, yeah. auction process, in comparison to some events uh, in the sports space. We never even, you never even really hear the numbers ever shared. Well, this is all out external, giving people such an insight into who's actually in the race, you know, potentially that never even come close. But you you might all of a sudden see a zone pop up on for one of the rights packages. You know, oh, OK, they're they're now trying to dip their toe into the market and can't make it um, past some of the, the incumbents. I'm just curious, what's that experience like? Is it quite? Is it as unique as it looks like from, from people who cover the media industry in sports? There is nothing like it that I've seen. Is it, is it, is it unique as an experience as, as it makes mm-hmm.
2: out to be? I think the last 10 years have been really interesting when it comes to acquisition of rights and the processes that different federations, governing bodies or leagues follow uh, to actually find the right partner. And we have the full spectrum in India. You have what you described as an e-auction, which uh, which BCCI has followed with their own bilateral rights in the past and now with, with, with IPL. Um, the last set of rights for IPL were actually tendered using a closed bid process where uh, it wasn't an e-auction. It was an offer that interested entities were supposed to submit and then all offers would be opened uh, at one go and you also have negotiations with governing bodies where they are trying to find the best partner for their for their product and and their properties but still want to extract maximum commercial value from the market so each governing body has its own set of objectives and sees the market for what they believe are the commercial realities of the market, the com- comparative landscape, and what they believe are is the real value of their rights. So different entities and different governing bodies follow different price discovery methods. Uh, some will do, as I said, an e-auction, some will do a closed bid, and some will engage in private negotiations with interested parties. So the, I'm sorry.
1: Curious, uh, in. In that instance then with that closed uh, auction, so typically, uh, is it always going to the highest bidder in that instance? Because normally that's not the case, right? For we've seen uh, countless examples where there's a higher bidder, but then you've got the offset of someone with an established audience base who goes, well, you know, we've got an audience here. We have the wider storytelling we can bring to the table. Does that play a part in that negotiation or is it the highest bidder counts, uh, highest bidder wins in this instance with the IPL?
2: If it's a closed bid or an e-auction, then it's effectively the highest bidder who wins, the highest bidder for the combined package if a combined package is available, or the highest bidders for individual packages if the sum of the parts is not more uh, than 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 the whole. So it, it's always the highest bidder. Um, it, in private negotiations, of course, it it may not be. Yeah.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, just curious then, so this last uh, right cycle, you didn't secure the digital and just focused on the linear. How difficult was that a decision to not um, not to, to put in the extra investment into those rights? Obviously, there's economics in play, and it's, it's, it does come down to quite as simple as that. But was that a, a tough situation to, to swallow, uh, or was it something that you guys were pretty comfortable with with making uh, the call on, given the, the the position your linear product is is in?
2: I think there are no easy de- decisions when it comes to the kind of investment or the scale of investment that we were expected to make. Um, we had an acquisition case and, and believed there to be a certain value to the set of rights that were available. Uh, we were disciplined around those values and what we believed was the value that we were seeing in the five-year right cycle and where we believed IPL either on TV or digital would fit into the overall scheme of things and our portfolio. How much strategic value IPL would add to uh, the rest of the portfolio and our, and our business at large and obviously, as you said, the price at which we would potentially get it. Uh, so I wouldn't say that it was an easy decision, but I would say that the discipline and focus we had on wanting to build a business which, yes, had IPL as its centerpiece was dictated by the commercial viability and the focus we had on delivering the commercial value as well as the strategic value for the overall business. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You don't need to comment on this, but I have heard from people on the ground that they have tried the the new digital proposition in the market Mm -hmm. and they said they had to go uh, back to the the star proposition because it was just much better and stronger and more robust than the the new players. So, uh, that's why it's important to be uh, the market leader. Um, I'm curious on just the advertising part of it a little bit further. Um, It seems like branding and advertising is a huge part of the Indian uh, tire sports and broadcasting market. And it seems there's a lot of investment into that, particularly around uh, this various uh, sponsored by, partnered by, stuff happening across the IPL constantly. Have you seen a discerned uptick in advertising investment in in this last year or so since the increase in audiences? Or has it just been that gradual growth? to what you are talking about before on year-on-year, on year, or has there been an actual real market step up? It feels like when we look across the wider industry that these 10-pole moments, and sports is the leader in that, seems to be driving more interest relative to the wider advertising marketplace. Uh, are you seeing this, are that to be the case as well?
2: That's true for marquee sport in India. Um, marquee sport in India dominates the share of ADX, both on linear and digital. So to answer your question, IPL in most years would be the largest share of most companies branding budgets. And there are certain categories which are actually over indexed on IPL, gaming, fantasy, um, the the seasonal uh, categories that get activated in the summer months of April and May. Uh, which want to uh, be present on IPL. Uh, Most brands who want to launch products or want to expand their audiences have to be on IPL because it's the only property that will aggregate audiences across the length and breadth of the country and also aggregate at such large scales in, in, in very few days. The opening weekend of IPL itself will see more than 200 million viewers come and, and watch it. Uh, obviously the scale of aggregation keeps expanding as as we go through the tournament, but the intensity of aggregation, as well as just the sheer number of eyeballs reached on IPL, make it a property that most brands who want to expand their audience base or their consumer base cannot ignore. Uh, so you know, to, to answer your question, Marquee properties, and that includes ICC events as well. Uh, we have a World Cup in India coming up in October, November, which also coincides with Diwali, and that's the th- th- those are the that's the festive period in India where brands want to overspend because they want to attract consumers, and con- consumer spends tend to be much higher. That will also <laughs> see the same effect where you will see a big spike both in consumer spending as well as brand spending on the World Cup. So both the IPL and ICC marquee events tend to attract a fairly significant and disproportionate share of brand wallets, especially for categories that want to reach large number of consumers and want to deliver a certain intensity of aggregation around the brands.
0: I've got two questions. One is a direct response to something you said, and then I'll move directions. You mentioned fantasy sports. Now I'll admit it's a sweet spot for me. I love fantasy sports, pretty addicted across all the different sports. And I actually think fantasy sports is still probably one of the most underutilized marketing tools within sports. You know, I think of, My English friends over here, the reason they got into the NFL is through fantasy. Um, The way I've managed to hook some of my American friends into the Premier League is through the FPL app. Just be curious, from an IPL perspective, I know this might not necessarily be your day-to-day, like what's the fantasy sports world like with with the IPL in terms of users, or is that something that's being leveraged to to grow audience, particularly internationally? Because at least from my experiences living on multiple sides of the pond, fantasy sports has been the hook to be able to to get people into things that they wouldn't normally watch. You know, for me, for example, I'm watching Serie A football. I never would have done that before until I started my SoRare account. Or I'm following, you know, the the Dutch league. I'd just be curious to know how much is being put in there. I don't know if that's directly into your job, but just be curious because you talked
2: about it. Fantasy sports is huge in India. In fact, it has reached the kind of scale that most people will not have imagined fantasy sports to reach. Um, There are almost 200 million fantasy users in India. Um, they are the, the largest fantasy player in India, uh, which is uh, Dream 11, is the happens to be the largest spender on advertising across TV and digital on, on IPR, which just goes to show that their ambition is to grow this base of 200 million users for, for fantasy that uh, who exist. We've seen two things. One, for cricket, because cricket is already as large as it is, you have a very high number of existing cricket fans playing fantasy. So it doesn't directly contribute to the growth of fandom. What it does do is it deepens the engagement for the existing fan with the sport. So because I'm now making teams for matches, I'm potentially tuning in more often. But I was already a fan whose engagement with cricket will increase. Mm -hmm. For some of the other sports, sports like kabaddi, football, the emerging sports in the country, fantasy actually offers an opportunity where you can recruit fans who weren't interested in the sport to begin with, who will now take interest because there is a fantasy aspect of it available. Mm -hmm. So for, for cricket fans, fantasy is a driver of engagement and potentially retention. For all sports other than cricket, it could be a vehicle for recruitment of new fans.
0: So the other question I wanna go on is a little bit around the advertising that Nick was talking about. Um, And I won't literally bang the table, but it is something I bang the table about as an American with my frustrations with the Premier League, um, is the role of free to air, particularly when it comes to sports. Uh, We're over here in the UK, you know, very few the the premium sports are actually free to air. Whereas my understanding is with this new broadcast deal is you guys are actually doing more free to air of the IPL than you've done in the past. So just be curious to know, because I know advertising is really one of the ways to help facilitate that model, sort of how you're making those decisions around sort of how much of the IPL is going to be free to air versus behind a paywall and what sort of opportunities that that's representing.
2: With IPL specifically, our strategy was to leverage free-to-air to to get viewers who didn't have pay subscriptions to sample the IPL in a bid to try and drive their conversion from free-to-air to to pay. So just in terms of volume of content made available on free-to-air, it was less, it was about 10% uh, of the total volume of content available on IPL being made available on free-to-air it was steeped in two pieces of consumer insight. One was a large number of free-to-air users were consuming content on the free-to-air platform, but actually had inactive pay TV subscriptions. So by giving them access to IPL, we wanted to drive them towards reactivating their pay TV subscriptions, even if it is for the tenure of IPL, thereby doing two things, one, expanding the base of viewers who we were talking to by virtue of making a certain percentage of content available on free-to-air, but also showing them the value of pay TV subscriptions and hopefully retaining them beyond the IPL. And while we don't have the exact numbers for how many free-to-air users actually converted to pay TV for for, uh, the IPL, We do know that our overall subscriber base for Star Sports went up, as I said, by almost 11 million. Now, some percentage of these could potentially be households who were free to air, who sampled IPL on their free to air platforms. And because they wanted more of IPL, chose to reactivate the subscriptions. So that's the first part, which is using free to air as a sampling strategy to widen the audience base and also drive the value of pay TV for free-to-air users. The second part of it is it obviously delivers additional reach for advertisers who want to reach more eyeballs and also are interested in a certain cohort, which in this case is free-to-air users, because it links back to what they believe their brand messaging is. It typically applies to FMCG players who want to reach out to as wide an audience as possible because they see audiences at different income levels still being consumers of their product. And thus they want the free-to-air reach because they want to be able to reach a certain audience cohort, which was not willing to pay for subscriptions, but is available on free-to-air platforms.
1: And the other question I have is really around international sports properties more generally, not just US, but indeed globally. Um, they must be knocking on your door a lot about the opportunity. How? how what do you say to those international sports properties? Do you have to give them a bit of an education on the market first? you have to really go through quite a deep process on them to understand how the The business and the the environment works uh, in India. Uh, And what's your relationship like with some of those sports properties? Are you working heavily with any of the major American sports properties, for example? And what's that that look like?
2: It's a complex market, um, as we have just discovered uh, in this conversation, which means that it is contingent upon us to inform, educate, advise uh, rights holders who want to bring their rights to the Indian market on what we believe could be the right approach for them. We've had some tremendous success working very closely with Premier League uh, over the last decade. In fact, the consumption of Premier League in the last five years has more than tripled, largely on the back of efforts we've made in conjunction with them to really drive Premier League both as a brand as well as a stream of content in India. This applies to local brand ambassadors, uh, to an effort to regionalize a large part of the content available uh, from Premier League, and also a marketing effort around how you popularize the league in pockets of passion for football. So it's been a collaboration which has seen consumption grow significantly. Number of fans, even beyond those who are watching, grow significantly, and the Premier League brand becoming more ubiquitous in the world of sport in India. And that, to my mind, is a big case study for international federations and rights holders to look at on how to grow their properties in the Indian context. You can't come to India with a broad brush approach on how you want to build the property. It has to be unique for the market, which is as complex as India. You need to have the right partner, as you said, to make sure that your ambition is matched with the scale and excellence in execution which the strategy needs. And lastly, it requires you to have a certain degree of patience for when the inflection point in your journey with respect to the scale will come. India is a scale market. You have to be obsessed with scale or you have to be obsessed with serving a niche which is significant. But in both cases, what's most important is for you to customize the proposition for multiple audience cohorts that you may be trying to address if you're going for scale or a single audience cohort if you're going for a significant niche. So it's important to build out the strategy after developing a strong understanding of the Indian consumer and the Indian consumer space. And as I said, working with a partner who will add not just potentially commercial value to to the relationship, but also strategic value in being a genuine partner who can help you grow the property that you're bringing to market.
0: Brilliant. Well, I know we've only really just scratched the surface and we could spend far more time talking through this, but I do appreciate you making the effort to come out here. As much as I'd love to say you traveled to London just to be with Nick and I, we at least are grateful that you managed to find some time in your busy schedule to come talk to us.
2: No, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I hope I've been able to give you a little sampler of the complex Indian sports media and entertainment ecosystem. And, uh, give you a sense of how it is poised for growth and has immense headroom for what the next phase of growth of the, the ecosystem looks like.
1: Uh, definitely. And uh, I think you know, we will be continuing to ramp up our focus on the entire Indian sports market in particular, because it's an exciting time for for that landscape and indeed for what you're doing as well. So thanks again for, for joining
2: us. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime podcast.